Welcome to the Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spoda Kindle, SVP of Product and Programming with AECFCS, and today we're exploring the evolution of new tech in the financial crime compliance space with a particular focus on everyone's favorite buzzword, Gen AI or Generative Artificial Intelligence. Do you remember where you were on November 30th, 2022? Well, I don't recall myself, but that seemingly forgettable day was the date that ChatGPT was released to the public. ChatGPT is hardly the first or the only artificial intelligence application out there, but it has helped kickstart a new wave of interest in and investment in AI. Fast forward about 18 months or so to today. What has changed for financial crime compliance programs seeking to harness these emerging technologies? How has the AI boom affected our world in the financial crime space and investigations, customer due diligence, model management, and even on the regulation side? Well, to answer and explore that question, I'm thrilled to be joined by Elsie Pan and Sam Ratjane, principals and industry-leading technology specialists with PwC's Financial Crime Unit. Together, we'll help you to understand the current realities of emerging tech in the financial crime prevention arena, take a look at how financial institutions are addressing long-standing challenges like data quality and data privacy to be able to use some of these technologies, and give perspectives on low-risk and potentially high-reward opportunities for AI use at financial institutions of all types. Well, Samrat, Elsie, thank you so much for being here. It is a pleasure to have you on the Financial Crime Cast. I'm uh, really looking forward to having this conversation with you. I think the tech trends, especially the Gen AI issue, has been top of mind for a lot of our listeners out there. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to getting your perspective on it. Before we jump into that, maybe we should just start with a little bit about you both. Uh, and Elsie, I'll, I'll kick it over to you to start us off. Uh, what do you do at your current role at PwC? Thank you, Brian. It's truly a pleasure to be here today. Um, so background, um, brief background about myself. I'm a, a financial crime a unit part, a consulting partner based out of New York with PwC. Uh, my role in our firm, I lead our financial crime model validation um, for, uh, for a variety of models, includes AML transaction monitoring models, sanction screening models, customer risk rating models, and also fraud detection and prevention models. It may seem a lot, but I have to say that I really enjoy it because you get to see a variety of uh, uh, models as, as small as a, a startup company product to a mainstream, very large vendor developed models used by the large financial institutions. I do enjoy this role here. Uh, on top of the financial crime model validation leader at PwC, I also work with many institutions of uh, mid-sized, uh, meaning in foreign banking organizations here in the U.S. So from from this angle and on this front, I do work with them to help them grow their business while fighting the financial crime uh, in the U.S. market, particularly in the context of a global trade and, and global um, business you know, context. 
Excellent. Thank you for that. And and yeah, the 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 model uh modeling piece is a, a fascinating world in and of itself that we could probably spend an hour talking about. Both this, you know, very much associated with this this issue, but uh very much a uh challenging and sometimes thorny issue uh, in and of itself. Excellent. Thank you for being here and I uh, appreciate having your perspective. Uh let's hear from from you uh Samrat on on what you're doing and your role at PwC. Thank you, Brian. And again, thank you for having us. Super excited to be here. So in my role, um, I'm a financial crime technology partner here at PwC. And uh, again, in the same financial crimes practice, um, I typically look at two problems. One is really the typical traditional maintenance of BSA AML compliance technology needs, which can include really anything from implementing a technology platform, replatforming something, upgrading an application, uh, again, in the space of transaction monitoring, customer risk grading, sanctions, and so forth. Um, to take a look at you know any data quality challenges, helping my clients in that space, tuning and optimization of these platforms, which is, again, a regulatory requirement year on year. And then the second piece of my work really relates to program enhancement and very close to the very topic that we are talking about today, which is AI and generative AI. So, so really kind of helping my clients brainstorm what is good from an AI perspective and from a next-gen innovation perspective for their program, again, in the, in the technology space, right? So either it is around moving the platforms to cloud or it is around brainstorming about ideas on how to improve efficiencies using AI, generative AI, and, and, and such. So, so we'll talk a little bit more about this topic later in the, in the talk, but, uh, but really that's kind of the second piece where I focus as well. So super excited to be here. Excellent. Thank you. Well, well, let's let's uh stay on that theme for a second and we've already kind of alluded to it um in your in your discussion of what you do, but you both are working with clients all over, you know, the, the with with institutions all over the world. Um and you have this front row seat to some of the trends and evolving issues in this field. So, what what are you seeing as some of the key trends? We're going to hone in on on generative AI. I'm sure that's one of them. Uh, but overall, give us the kind of big picture landscape and some of the key issues that you're seeing before we we pull the, some of these threads a little bit more. Sure. So uh, let me start, if I may. Um, the I guess taking a step back and, and looking at the landscape overall in the last several years, what we have seen is really BSAML programs transforming from fit for purpose to fit to purpose. And what I mean by that is really a little bit of a proactive versus reactive approach. So as the regulators came by, regulations kind of um, uh, came by and uh, evolved, institutions were really kind of reacting to, we got to implement this, we got to implement that, we need to address this regulatory obligation this way, that way, and really kind of addressing that in a reactive manner. Um, but with the involvement of technology, evolution of technology, and with more maturity in, in these programs and better understanding of firms um, and institutions, we I, I do see that it, it, there's a lot of a uh, you know uh, proactive approach now going into enhancing these programs. So firms have seen you know taking a step back and evaluating what what does good look like. You know how should I be designing my my program overall from a people process technology perspective and really identifying the best way forward and, and um, improving the program to, to an extent where it not only meets the regulatory expectations, but also delivers efficiency and, uh, and value to the institution. 
So, so with that background, I think three key trends that that we are noticing. Obviously, one is AI and generative AI. So, a uh, couple of years ago, we we saw machine learning exploding and then AI tools coming into play. And very recently, we are seeing the explosion of generative AI. So really at the forefront of, of trends is AI overall. And, and really what we are seeing is the, the regulators are also open to the fact that yes, use AI in a responsible way, in an explainable way, because the regulators typically are looking at any and every solution with a, with a, with a lens of explainability and be able to understand everything under the hood. And so, so with that, um, with that kind of guidance uh, of sorts from, from regulators, looks like that's, uh, that's where the world is moving to, deploying these technologies and enhancing the program as such. The second thing um, or a trend is really around the program standardization. So in the past, it, you know, when you look at a process, you would look at a process where, um, an application is deployed to, to help improve the process. And I'll take an example of transaction monitoring. Um, so an application is deployed to generate your alerts within the transaction monitoring space to monitor transactions. Fast forward five years, we were able to automatically categorize risk rate and, uh, um, and, and prioritize higher risk transactions and high risk alerts in a certain way. And, and today, what we are looking at is really evolution of that process to say, now we are able to not only categorize, but also are able to uh, dispose some of the alerts that should be auto-closed or that should be auto-educated uh, at the end and, uh, and really pushing the ones that are real risk to the program up to the level two investigators for deeper investigation. So, so standardizing and automating the process end-to-end -end is something also very common. And then lastly, the efficiency aspect, which actually takes into consideration um, everything that can be done to, to develop your program to improve efficiency and reduce or remove redundancies completely. Uh, and that's where we are seeing uh, some of the newer products coming into the space. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about some of the PwC products that, that came into play in the last couple of years as we were solving clients' problems and we were trying to understand um, what is it that is delivered by a traditional off-the-shelf product versus what is it that is not solved by a product. And, and that's where we developed some of the niche products to address that void. Um, but I'll pause there. Those are kind of the three key trends that that uh, we see out there. And I'll see, feel free to add. I would say that you covered it all. Uh, very impressive. Uh, and just a little bit of uh, expansion on the improved efficiency. Uh, it's absolutely a journey because uh, Brian asked about the trend, right? Uh, what we saw maybe two years ago, absolutely not at the same scale that we are seeing today. Um, thanks to Gen AI uh, models, tools available to the broader um, business, uh, you know, uh, uh, business world. So we absolutely see a very different scale. And we do believe that given the scale, we will see more um, uh, useful application and acceptance by the regulators. Um, so I would say that this is absolutely uh, at the scale that we haven't seen in the past. I think that's a really good and interesting point on the regulatory side. Um, and definitely it's been an, an evolution and sort of thinking uh, and public statements for, for several years now. And I just saw a couple of days ago, an interesting uh, 
article regarding FinTrack up in Canada, I know we're, we're kind of US focused in this conversation, um, but just to point to the wider international trend, you know, FinTrack, uh, the uh, Canadian FIU and one of the lead agencies in the financial crime space up there talking about the use of AI for its own data mining, its own analysis, its own trend research. Um, so the embrace of not just the the kind of begrudging, you know, respect uh, for the use of AI in, in financial institutions from the regulatory perspective, but the actual embrace of AI from the, the regulators themselves in their own usage. Um, I think it's in kind of the next direction we're going in, and will will only lead to an increase in uh, the tech adoption on the the financial institution side. But yeah, very encouraging developments all around. I think in the uh, in that that big picture view. Um, and thank you for that. That's very, very helpful. But as mentioned, I now want to, I want to, I want to go deeper into the the Gen AI space. It's been a little bit over a year. I think November of uh, last year. Or so we uh, had this sort of explosion that came into this space, and you know, since then we have really seen this gain massive consumer adoption, business adoption. Um, what about on the financial crime side? Uh, what are some of the ways that you're seeing the use of Gen AI, Gen AI in the financial crime space? And this is a very kind of rapidly evolving space. I've I've gotten different answers to this question when I've asked it a few different times over the past year and and six months or so. Um, so I'm very interested to hear your perspective on, on what you're seeing. Yeah, sure. So um, I can start and uh, Samara can chime in. So in, in my opinion, I would say the key use cases for Gen AI tools or models. So they are um, largely in the, the four buckets. Um, it's the summarization or summarize, you know, the contents. Uh, second one is improve with augmentation and personalization. So it's like a specific on a specific individual or transaction or profile or account or party. The third one is to uh, ask uh, uh, use, you know, deep retrieval to ask more questions, the follow-up questions. The fourth one is creation, creating the, the content, because we all know Gen AI is the language model, right? So if you put all these four buckets into different scenarios uh, in the financial crime compliance world, uh, we've seen, you know, many successful cases, well, even though some institutions are still exploring. Um, so I would say that the first one is alert investigation. So obviously, this is a big area, a significant pillar in every institution's financial crime compliance program. Um, and usually you need to have a very large team and sometimes an army deployed um, for the operations of uh, the compliance uh, program. So in this regard, Gen AI to improve the transaction monitoring, sanction screening, um, from the alert investigation to all the way to the SAR writing. Obviously, not to write the SAR itself, but there is a governance pro. Uh, I would say process in place to oversee the entire um, process from end to end. And in this regard, there are particular uh, steps in the investigation. I've seen Gen AI is very powerful, uh, namely the adverse media search. So obviously, you know, for either transaction uh, alert review or case review, you would do the adverse media search. And then you probably will pull 20, 40, sometimes even, you know, 100, you know, articles. And many of them, they are just noise, not very relevant. But if you deploy a Gen AI tool, uh, really tailored, customized for 
your adverse media search and summarizes the the information that you need for this particular you know exercise, then you will get a lot of efficiency out of this program. Um, so the second one is the investigation narratives. We all know that uh, many institutions will have a template uh, to capture all the work that the analysts have completed and, and make sure that, you know, the documentation is accurate and does reflect the disposition decision or recommendation uh, locked in the system. So the Gen AI model, when it's deployed uh, correctly, then they can help to generate the investigation narrative, summarizing all the activities, but at the same time, they can do uh, the, the checking of all these data points. So I will say that this is the area, the invested, the alert investigation, you know, area, um, the operations uh, would de definitely, you know, benefit from this. The second one would be the customer onboarding and periodic review, um, which is the KYC process, you know, your customer process. So this absolutely uh, increased the efficiency. So the faster customer onboarding by leveraging Gen AI to verify new clients, like the applicants, right, for their background checks, for their inactive news articles. So in this way, the customer onboarding process can be much more frictionless than before. Um, and also the periodic review of the KYC files, depending on the periodics, um, periodic review, like intervals defined by the institution, sometimes, you know, the institution will have to review the high risk customers on an annual basis, sometimes even like, you know, twice a year. So that's a lot of work. But if you deploy the uh, Gen AI tool to help you with this uh, process, it can create a lot of efficiency as well. Uh, the third area is also very interesting where I see more and more institutions are using that, which is um, BSAML and sanctions uh, 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 risk assessment. So we know that many institutions need to do the risk assessment um, annually at least annually. Um, and then the process is very tedious. So they are looking into various data tables, right? Uh, sits in, you know, uh, multiple systems and they need to gather the data. And after they gather the data, they have to generate, you know, they have to write commentary on the data um, and they have to, uh, uh, generate some sort of in insights and also the trends. And all that can be done by a def like designed uh, Gen AI model to do that. Um, so obviously, you know, you need to verify the insights, the trends based on the data. Um, you need to have a, you know, a governance process in place, but that's also very um, useful. Um, then in some other areas I've seen much more um, e efficient or effective is the reporting. Uh, many committee uh um, that I've seen that they need to get, you know, the, a quarterly committee, you know, reporting package and the compliance program overall. And then uh, for the board meetings, they also have those, you know, reporting packages. And even at the um, operations investigation level, they need to have daily, weekly reporting. And this reporting is very tedious. Um, and you know, error prone if you do it manually. So the GNAI model automate the pro reports, the dashboards for monitoring the compliance program progress status, um, which is, you know, this is very helpful. Um, documentation is another area um, because, you know, many policy procedures, they need to be updated on an annual basis. And uh, the regulators, they issue 
uh, new guidance, new bulletin. And um, if you don't use a model to help you with this uh, annual documentation update or policy and procedure update, it can be a very manual and time-consuming process. But if you deploy Gen AI model, which again, this is really language, right? You're reading the regulations, you're reading the, the laws, reading those you know uh, memos and bulletins, and you leverage some of the components uh, to the relevant sections in your own policy procedures that can accelerate your documentation uh, process very, very uh, well. So documentation is certainly one area. Um, the lastly is the chat bot. We've seen that, you know, some interesting um, usage application here uh, where usually there is a team dedicated to it called a compliance advisory, BSAML, a financial crime compliance advisory with certain you know, expertise. And uh, the chatbot, uh, not necessarily replacing the experts, um, but the chatbot can be used to answer basic questions for the other business units um, who have very basic, you know, um, financial crime related questions that can create capacity for the financial crime uh, professionals within the organization. Um, so I would say that I listed a few, but obviously there are many more uh, use cases out there. And we say that, you know, I keep saying Gen AI has transformed <laughs> many compliance and professionals life in a good way, in a good way. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, fascinating to, as, as mentioned, you know, see the evolution of the answers I've gotten to the that question. It's just expanding further and further in terms of the use cases uh, that are that are already in use. And I'm sure so many more to come. But yeah, the, a lot of interesting ones there. Gosh, uh, you know, the, you mentioned the kind of automation of the the reporting piece which i find uh I, I find very interesting you know the 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 dashboard and the ability to to get that information uh surfaced in a way that you would not nearly as easily before uh, one thing i'm interesting is uh, interested in is you know how much of this is sort of brand new versus uh, an improvement on existing processes right so i'm thinking back to like 2019 I think it was when the OCC issued a uh, interpretive letter about the automation of structuring SARS. And it was like a big deal at the time that you could automate a, a SAR uh, for structuring, right? Um, and now we have, have Gen AI that comes along and allows you to kind of automate some of this narrative writing in, in a certain type of way with certain you know guardrails around it. And I, I think some institutions and some individuals in this field because it has a new name you know gen ai it seems kind of maybe a little a little scary a little hesitant people automatically go to like oh you know chat gpt makes things up and that type of thing so so is this really sort of a you know a brand new deployment or is this really an iteration on something that financial institutions may already be doing like automating certain sars right and maybe not quite as as scary, I guess you could say, as some people might take it. Yeah, so I guess that's a great question, Brian, and uh, and, and a very, very timely as well, because oftentimes when you talk about a new technology, the first question comes, oh, do I need to again spend X million dollars and or X amount of money to really get this in the door? And what does this mean from a management and sustainability perspective? Uh, but the interesting thing here is that uh, good or bad, and I guess more good, is that it's not um, a lift and shift. It's it's a new new deployment, and it's you're talking about 
implementing a technology from soup to nuts. And again, um, when you talk about Gen AI and AI solutions, you're talking about not only technology, but also a big part of this is data and not just data coming in and out for your last month or last year, but a lot of data depending on the usage. So, so to answer your question, really, this is a mix of a strategy that is geared towards transitioning to an AI, Gen AI based program, identifying areas where that can be leveraged and again, um, the good thing is that there are several use cases that are already very mature. If you talk about this question or if you ask this question you know, early last year, the answer would be, well, it's in the works. But today, the maturity has reached the stage where we can decide to deploy the technology and do something that you were doing previously better. Right, and and then I'll take an example of reporting as well. So as you said, if, if it's is it the same report that you had two years ago, three years ago, and and what's the difference? So really, the difference is, you know, you are able to make decisions on on the reports. You are able to uh, automate your KRIs, KPIs. You are a point depending on on the breaches. You are able to obviously automatically generate and distribute, uh, and you are also able to identify next best actions based on what you are seeing, right? A lot of that is generated by AI. Um, so, so those are some, some thoughts that comes to mind as we talk about, you know, transition to this new technology and, and, and some of what we are seeing um, in, in that space. Thank you for that. No, that, that's a that's a fantastic answer and uh, hopefully encouraging uh, for some of the folks out there that might be a little uh, hesitant, as you said, to to be adopting a uh, transitional uh, technology to what they already have in place. Uh, and let, let's let's take that a little further and, and stay on this theme of both challenges, right, and concerns that that folks have about generative AI, but also the opportunities you have in in place. I'm sure one of the you know issues that that might come up uh, is the reliability and the explainability of uh, of Gen AI. Uh, along with that, what are some of the key challenges you would highlight for the use of of Gen AI in the financial crime space? Um, and we you know we've we've already been getting into the opportunities piece as well, but to to pull on that thread further, what are also the opportunities, the benefits that you're seeing from these deployments? Yeah, that's a great question, Brian. And so so I guess pulling a thread a little bit more on what we are talking about, institutions, some of the institutions are already on this journey and and others are still thinking, right? So so you know if if someone in the audience is thinking, okay, should I start where where do I start? I guess the the point is, you know, identify the initial easy use cases and and really start small and go. Um, and and there is obviously there is a there is a phased approach to how would you you get to your first production Gen AI model to really derive efficiencies and and benefits. But uh, but I guess this is the right time. Um, and uh, we did talk about a lot of use cases, but but I think because this is regulatory driven. Um, the financial crime or any other regulatory industry would come at the tail end of, of this evolution. What I mean by that is, if you go back a year or two years, you will look at a lot of industries implementing AI, Gen AI, machine learning models into their you know, environments and really going production fast. Um, but but regulatory landscape is different and, and, and the financial crime space is different in terms of 
regulators are forthcoming and they are welcoming to to say yes explain to me how would you do what you do better using ai models or gen ai um, but the the key the key piece that the regulators need to really feel comfortable is that how the decision making will happen with with these gen ais the transparency of the decision making the explainability of the decision making and the accountability um, and and though and that kind of really summarized the first initial right sort of challenge um, in the space where anytime you're looking to go um, leverage a gen AI or AI model, you know you need to really look at from a regulatory perspective and say will this have these three elements: transparency, explainability, and accountability. Um, obviously, develop a robust model governance framework around it because regulators are going to ask for it. They're going to ask for um, you know uh, the the framework that that governs the the model or the implementation, um, the ongoing tuning and monitoring of the models because again it's not one and done it's about deploying it and continuously improving it over time. Um, third is frequent engagement with the regulators because that is something that will give the regulators the ongoing comfort on how you're managing this model because you don't want your data to go stale on the back end of it. You don't want your uh, links to go broke and uh, all of a sudden your output is no good. Um, and last is the documentation and, and regulators are big on that, right? So anything that you do, anything and everything you do in, in, in the financial crime spaces, uh, you know, requires robust documentation that explains what is done, why, um, testing that was performed, what is the ongoing tuning and, and how are you monitoring the performance of your model or implementation and such. So deep focus on, on that regulatory aspect of it. Uh, and I call it a challenge, a risk, and also an opportunity because as I said, regulators are open to the idea. And as long as it is transparent and explainable, uh, we have seen uh, institutions leveraging AI, Gen AI in production. A lot of institutions are now uh, leveraging machine learning models in their production environments. So, so it's 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 a reality today, uh, which is a good thing. So that's one. Uh, second is the data, um, and again, data from a perspective of uh, the need for data. Uh, typically, AI models require large amounts of data, historical data, to be able to make decisions. Uh, if we are talking about machine learning models, if we are talking about generative AI models, and I'll take an example of writing a narrative for an alert, for a transaction monitoring alert, that will also require vast amount of data because the, the Gen AI solution is not only writing a narrative about which transaction your customer alerted on, but it is also looking at historical transactional data to say, how was this customer um, transacting in the last six months or, or a year? Is this customer transacting within the realm of what we know this customer transact on? Is this the customer transacting within the profile or outside of the profile? And based on that, it'll, it'll take the take the data and derive those answers and write in the narrative. So the point I'm trying to drive home is a lot of the success of Gen AI depends on the quality and amount of data. And that is critical to the entire ecosystem of your um, AI models. Uh, in some cases, there is historical, good historical data available. In other cases, there may not be availability of such data, which is where um, it's a little bit of a challenge and also a risk uh, to, to watch out for. And then lastly, data privacy. So 
um, as you look into deploying these models, you're looking into ensuring that because this is a, a regulatory application and your implementation will have regulatory implications, you would want to ensure that you're performing sufficient training on sufficient historical data. So do you have that data? Yes. Can you have that data in your lower environments? Maybe not. And that's where some of the um, you know, um, challenges are. You would want to fine, fine tune your data and more than that, sanitize your data for any training purposes, any testing purposes uh, to, to, to ensure that your production data, your PII, the personal information is not going out into your lower environment, which opens you up to you know, deeper audit concerns or regulatory scrutiny. So, so those are the three buckets I would look at as I look at challenges and risk. They are also opportunities at the same time, because if we know today that there are um, large data gaps or there are um, known issues that needs to be addressed, in the journey of deploying AI, it becomes very important to address those issues now. And, and the reason is because that enables the institution to deploy them in the near future. Otherwise, it becomes a path of you know, no success in, in the next several years because uh, you know, open issues, open data issues and, uh, and, and concerns on, on data quality will actually continue to hinder the AI implementation in the long run. That's a fantastic point. Yeah. I mean, in talking about this subject and hearing from some financial institutions, this this issue of, well, we don't have clean, well-labeled data to start an AI project or an implementation is is something that comes up all the time. But it, it's a great point that that that's just a limitation, period. Like that that's not something that's exclusive to an AI or or gen AI project. That's an issue that just needs to be addressed, right? So I think that's a that it shouldn't be seen as a a challenge per se, you know, in the tech space, it should just be seen as a, a challenge overall that you have to deal with regardless of where you you stand in the implementation. And real interesting point you mentioned on the regulatory side and the kind of the need for that open communication with the regulators. And yeah, I remember doing a webinar with the bank OCC bank examiner and he his line was treat the regulator like you would your mother-in-law. Um, and that you have to have that kind of respectful relationship because it's going to be there where, whether you want it or not, right? Which I I enjoyed that that take on it, uh, but I think it's true. And it, you know, I, I'm wondering what the what the feedback you mentioned. There's institutions, you know, this isn't this isn't brand new, right? Institutions already have these projects in in deployment. They're using Gen AI, and and they're using you know they've certainly been using certain automation, robotic process automation, and machine learning for a while now. Um, what's the feedback been like, either, you know, kind of just anecdotally that you've heard or directly in some of the projects you, you're involved with? Before we talk about the U.S. regulators' feedback on using Gen AI, um, so it may be worth to uh, go back to the AML Act of 2020. So um, on January 1st, 2021, right, Congress passed the AMLA, which amends the uh, the build upon the existing AML statutory framework originally established under like a BSA in 1970. Wow. So that's been like uh, <laughs> a little bit over a half centuries ago, right? So financial crime compliance landscape has evolved significantly for the past half century, obviously. And AMLA may represent one of the most comprehensive efforts in recent decades to modernize the U.S. government's regulatory arch architecture for AML. 
And that is a federal requirement for identifying the beneficiary owners of certain legal entities. And so we've seen most recent, you know, developments and uh, imp implementation, you know, by FinCEN. So that's the that's the because you mentioned about U.S. Reg regulators feedback. And so I want to put it out there. So that's the regulators. Right. But in the private sector, we spend a lot of time, you know, sharing this modernization of AML program, obviously, is much broader than beneficiary ownership. I like what we shared earlier, like alert investigation, documentation, KYC reporting um, and so on. The reason why I bring this up is that you see the regulators in the regulated entities, they might not be on the same page for GNAI application because at least they are not impacted by GNAI um, on a daily basis. And hence we hear um, very often that the financial crime professionals in the regular in those regulated entities, they spend quite some time explaining Gen AI application to the examiners. That's what Samra talked about, uh, the explainability of those models, the applications, and the success of the ability, I would say, the, of the explainability is crucial for the success of modernizing the AML program end-to-end. So on that front, I want to share uh, some tips of uh, how you can uh, make this, you know, Gen AI adoption uh, or consumption process more more uh, regulator friendly. Like when you are bringing this to the regulators, because the feedback we hear is that the front regulators they want to understand. They don't they don't necessarily push back on the adoption, but they want to understand how the institutions adopt Gen AI models to meet the uh, regulatory requirements. So I would say that they're usually looking for, you know, these four uh, buckets, the conceptual soundness of the model, of the tool. So when you choose AI model or JNI tools, please choose those, or at least you should start with the inherently, some AI models, they inherently provide uh, some level of uh, explainability or better, you know, expl explainability. Some models such as decision tree offer more transparency compared to complex and deep learning models. So um, if you can lay it out to the regulators, the success of getting this acceptance would be a lot higher, right? Uh, the second one is feature and uh, engineering. And this is these are the risk of factors, the features that you used in the model. So using techniques like you know, feature importance analysis can help the regulators to understand which features contribute to the most to the model's decision-making process or the performance of the model. And usually this is this is aligned or can be uh, uh, when you combine this with visualization. Uh, the ability to visualize it for the regulators, this is very, very powerful because the ability to visualize the internal workings or decision-making process of the model, this is a secret weapon to explain the model to the regulators. So the heat maps or dis distribution charts or some other visuals, they're extremely careful. We've seen many success you know, uh, cases so far. And lastly is uh, Documentation, documentation, documentation. <laughs> I cannot emphasize enough of documentation. So anecdotally, I've heard many institutions say that they spent 
30% of their time uh, developing the models or customizing Gen AI uh, tools for their own use, but then the remaining 70% on the documentation for them to be successful. So I would say that, and this is very true because, you know, we know most examiners, they do not have um, computer uh, science background. They usually, you know, they, they're trained as a lawyer or maybe some, you know, other degree. So they are, technically speaking, they're not technologists per se, which is which is fine, but you just need to articulate the your use cases um, the way that can be consumed by them. So it's literally like just on a daily basis, we deal with our relationship with external uh, parties or even internal parties. We need to put ourselves in their shoes, right? So that we can help them understand. I would say that institutions do recognize and do a better job of that. They actually get very positive feedback from U.S. regulators. That is a fascinating statistic on the the time spent on the, the, the actual work per se. Not that documentation isn't part of the work because it is, but um, versus the documentation piece. But yeah, I mean, it does speak to the importance of that element. And, it, and you're right. It's not just, you know, the regulatory side. It needs to be explainable to all the, the stakeholders involved. So, uh, you know, really spending a lot of time on that is has other benefits beyond, you know, the regulatory acceptance, although that is the kind of key piece of it. Uh, I'm interested in another element of this. And I, I'm also very happy you brought up the AML Act before we, we move on, because I, I'm kicking myself for not doing it earlier. I think it is, it is as you mentioned, just a, a critically important piece of, of legislation for the U.S. financial crime framework. But it also speaks to a point that both you and, and Samrat have been mentioning during this 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 conversation, and that's this effectiveness piece, right? And this focus on the effectiveness, the program effectiveness that the AML Act really brought to the forefront, you know, really drives home the need for innovation and you know the point of 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 this conversation in part that we're having here today. So, um, you know, on that similar theme, uh, you need the you need the technology, you need the data. You need the regulatory acceptance. You also need the right human skill set and and staff skill set to be able to take advantage of this. Um, and you know, I want to look at this from from what from a couple of different perspectives. And one is, you know, how does an organization sort of drive the right skills? But also on the individual level, there's a lot of concern out there in our audience and just kind of in the financial crime community more broadly of, you know, is, is chat GPT going to take my job type of thing. Uh, so I'm interested in, in thoughts on, on the piece of, you know, what do we kind of broadly do to drive skills, both from an organizational perspective and an individual perspective to make the most of these technologies and also kind of secure the, your career in the financial crime space. Yeah. So uh, this is very relevant, um, Brian. I've had many uh, interesting conversations with uh, uh, my friends in the industry. And I have to say that, you know, Gen AI is very friendly to everyone, uh, non-coders and, and obviously, you know, coders. 
Um, because this is a language, if you think about this, this is a language generating tool. Obviously, you can write some, you know, scripts for you, right? But but it provides efficiency. It does give you uh, really good information that you may need to spend hours to retrieve and analyze, but all of a sudden it's there. But you need to challenge it. You need to verify, obviously. You need to do that. So in my opinion, the top skills uh, that we would highly recommend financial crime professionals to develop are prompt engineering. Uh, this is very new. Um, second is uh, data analytics or analysis, slightly different from what we've seen in the past. The third one is awareness of the knowledge of those machine learning and AI models or tools available out there, right? Uh, so let's start with, you know, prompt engineering. I did a a very interesting experiment um, because you have the tool, but not everyone can harness the tool, whether this is ChatGPT or any other. The, the tool is only good if you are asking the right question. Do you know how to ask the right question? You need to give them the ask, tell, tell the tool that, you know, oh, okay, so I have a question. This is a topic. Uh, this is the tone I want you to write. You have a very clear objective, you know, uh, before you start asking the question. You need to tell the uh, the tool ChatGPT. Let's just use ChatGPT for example. You need to tell ChatGPT that uh, who is the audience, the recipient of the response, and in what tone you want to ask, in what format, and what are the topics or additional information that you want to add. So you may want to start simple, like it's a conversational uh, with ChatGPT. You start simple with the simple prompts, then gradually increase complexity. And from there, you will get more information. So do it uh, an experiment and iterate you know, process. It will help you to get better answers. So this is very interesting uh, approach because previously, you know, when uh, maybe one year ago when this came out and most of the, um, you know, the, the folks will think that, oh, so uh, ChatGPT can tell me, you know, if I raise a question, ChatGPT will tell me an answer. No, it's not like that. If you want to use it for uh, efficiency or effectiveness, like, you know, you can use for, for your for a job, you need to know how to ask the question. So prompt engineering, I think that this is absolutely a very new skill. Um, because, you know, very few of us really understand how these uh, uh, Gen AI models were developed, right? So we're all users of the model. So we need to know how to use the model. The, I'm pretty sure that the um, individuals with better uh, prompt engineering skills will uh, deliver better quality in their jobs uh, compared with uh, others. So I think that's how one way to secure the job. The other is the data analytics. Um, the it's not limited to it's I'm not saying that you need to uh, take uh, advanced data analytics courses, but now you think about it's a data driven decision making world. So whenever you uh, do your own job, you think about what are my data points that can support my you know conclusion or recommendation because that will give you a better chance to shine in front of you know whether this is internal or external you know parties. So I think with that mindset, it will help you a lot from like a data analytics perspective. Uh, the third one, the machine learning and AI models. It's just 
I have to say that uh, this is a phenomenal environment that we're in, like a journey, right? Um, every single week, I've seen new models, new usage. It's like, you know, when you start um, using smartphone, and all of a sudden, you found there are so many apps in the app store that you can <laughs> use, address your need. And it's really fascinating that you scroll uh, and browse all these applications. So the more that you know, the, the benefits um, of those models, the benefits of these tools, the better that you think you can, the, you can connect the dots and make everyone's life easier. I think that this is a critical uh, skill set that we need today. Yeah, no, fantastic, fantastic points there. I think you know, prompt engineering is absolutely going to continue to uh, to be critically important. To your point about the the proliferation of applications, it's just amazing to see. Literally each day, I am discovering a new uh, generative AI tool that can be used in in some capacity or some kind of you know increasingly niche product that is employing gen AI in some interesting and novel way. So you're totally right that that kind of now is the time to get out and get your hands on it, right? It's still um, it's still an environment. It may not be this way forever where many of these tools are free or offer some kind of trial usage. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you're necessarily going to use them at scale, but as an individual going out there and just trying to understand this space more, you know, there's a huge opportunity to just to just play, honestly, um, and to build your skill set that will then be later useful in more, you know, directed contexts. Kind of on a on a similar theme, you know, you mentioned the the proliferation of apps, so to speak, in the uh in the, the smartphone context. There's been a proliferation of products that are using, you know, Gen AI um in the financial crime compliance arena. And I think some of our folks out there who went through maybe earlier waves of of AI might be a little uh, wary of of some of the the hype around this. I feel like back in uh, you know 2011, 2012-ish, there was sort of a first wave of of oh, we have AI and it's maybe didn't necessarily pan out to do all that it said it could type of thing. How have you seen an evolution of products? evolving in this space, you know, particularly the, the, the proliferation of, of AI offerings from different firms out there. Yeah, that's a good one, uh, Brian. So so one thing that is happening in the product space is really products moving from on-prem to cloud. Um, there is a high volume data need and there's a compute power need. So it addresses both of those aspects as applications move from on-prem to cloud. The second aspect is the standardization and simplification of the process and the automation of the process. So, and I did mention earlier about the products that PwC was venturing into where we are trying to address some of the needs where there's a void. And I'll take an example. So within the model management space, model risk management space, I know that there are models that are out there. A transaction monitoring model is out there uh, several vendors provide the transaction monitoring model, fairly mature space. Uh, similar to that, there's a customer risk rating model there. There's a sanctions model there. So all of these models are out there and they are fairly mature in their respective spaces. What is not there is really something that brings these models together and really manage the the, the aspects of your year, yearly activities that go on with each of these models. So a product that PwC came with uh, several years ago is is Model Edge, which really gears towards 
managing your model inventory in in one stop in a one stop shop fashion um managing your yearly tasks for all of your models in in a singular application standardizing your model management processes for all of your models within that application um and and really kind of have an end to end view of your models the model issues um and the model status and risk levels within that within that platform so model edge is something that we have kind of really uh, a lot of our clients have really had that uh you know running in production and and that's where they're managing the models but uh, what is helping is it's helping them standardize their process and simplify their process i'll give you an example on 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 a very you know um, simple use case while managing models so every model would have their model management report this is a yearly report or a half yearly report that includes your model health it includes includes your uh, status of the model and really kind of several elements that comes in the in, along the way now how model edge uh, standardize this process is really having a standard report template for that model that will be generated year over year based on all the activities that has taken place on that model either it is your yearly performance testing either either it is your yearly uh, model tuning optimization you have it and so really that's just one example that model edge has 30 plus features similar to this that really brings all of your model together for the entire financial crime unit and um needless to say but model edge is platform agnostic so so there is no limitation in terms of you can only bring in models from financial crime you can also bring in more non financial crime models your credit models risk models uh what have you uh but really that's another um another space where we have seen a lot of success and and obviously a lot of need uh where you know it, the regulators are seeing maturity into that space with the use of products like you know model edge uh that that brings in that maturity in the program overall um we i wanted to talk a little bit more about uh the model coding workbench that's also something that we have developed over the past few years which standardizes your model tuning playbook so as you tune your models year after year what are the activities that goes into play how does your model uh report looks like how does your data travel from your source to your model uh what how do you take the output of your model and and have your financial uh crime unit investigators look at those output the alerts and then provide you the feedback loop and how do you really bring all of that together into a dashboard and report year on year from a regulatory perspective and for 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 your model management perspective so uh, so those are some of the key products that i wanted to kind of share some thoughts on um around what pwc is doing but again a, a lot of enhanced products out there and and really kind of the industry is evolving here with the gen ai and ai embedded products that are you know coming in play here in the fincrime space that's encouraging to hear on the uh, the modeling side as i mentioned uh at really kind of at the beginning this has been a major challenge for so many in this space uh and dealing with you know model management uh is just an ongoing headache so seeing some innovation around model management uh is is a is a, a positive evolution for i think a lot of our listeners out there well this has been a a fascinating conversation um really appreciate the time to close out i'm just wondering about you know this is a this is a this is a topic that we we've we've circled around um and we've we've dived into a couple of the the use cases but particularly for individuals organizations out there who may not have something in place may just be kind of getting pilot programs up and running 
dipping their toe in the water, so to speak. Uh, what recommendations would you have on particularly low risk use cases in uh, the Gen AI space? And uh, I'll I'll throw that out there along with any kind of closing thoughts you might have on this topic. I, I want to say that embrace Gen AI. If you have a tool that you know can has already dealt with the confidentiality or privacy matters, then certainly uh, use try to deploy it or use it for investigation, the operations aspect of it, because that is where you will see the highest return of the investment. I would say, if you do not have the confidential confidential environment or private environment for Gen AI uh, models, like it's a public, you know, chat. GPT, then I would say that you use it for your own personal, like you try to use it for uh, to improve your prompt engineering skills, because you know, once you get get a hand of it, you will be uh, very confident that the you, you can harness this tool. Right, that's a great point, Elsie. And just to add on that, and you really hit on a very important point, right? Before you start on the journey, Look at the privacy and confidentiality. Never, ever share any information with a public um, you know, tool or service, including ChatGPT, Bard, or you know, Copilot from Microsoft, you name it, right? Because again, any meaningful output that you're looking to get will require an input. And that input may be a breach of your privacy or confidentiality. So, th- so that is definitely something to note. Uh, and just just on top of what what Elsie mentioned, I think you know the other the other use case is customer onboarding. Again, this is a simpler use case, does not require a whole lot of historical data. All we are doing with the customer onboarding automation is reviewing files um, and running negative news, condensing that negative news output, uh, bringing together a narrative, and and really looking at all of the customer onboarding factors and giving the the KYC onboarding analyst a summary of the customer that or a prospect that is coming in to be onboarded. Uh, again, low hanging fruits, lower technology um, exposure, uh, easier deployment, less data need, and uh, um, and really gets you the value because as you know, if you look at a mid mid sized bank, you know you are looking at thousands of applications coming in on a daily basis. If you look at a tier one bank, a large bank, you are looking at several thousand or even hundreds of thousand globally coming in. So there's a lot of value to be harnessed from the from the technology. Um, but those would be some some low-hanging fruits, as we say. No, those are those are those are excellent. And I think it really speaks to, you know, again, the way that we're evolving in this the, the emerging tech space is just there's more and more something for everyone, right? This is not a big bank, big deployment, you know, m- multi-years long data remediation exercise before you get to the implementation thing right now. Now there's some there's something for everyone uh increasingly out there. And that's that's really encouraging to uh to see. And I think uh, you know, your other point about data privacy and and innovation within guardrails, uh, as the regulators have thrown out there quite a bit over the past few years, is also very important to keep in mind. But you know, I, the other the other point that that Elsie, you made earlier that really resonated with me is to paraphrase, don't do nothing at all, right? Start doing something um, regardless of of what type of institution you are. Um, there is increasingly something you can do. So 
Uh, always like to end on a, an encouraging note, and uh, I think we, we found ours. So uh, this has been, as I mentioned, a, a fascinating conversation, and it's it's been really interesting to see how far we've already come in the Gen AI and tech space. Uh, hopefully, we can do this again sometime in the near future, and and probably have twice as much to talk about as we, we did here. So uh, Semrad and Elsie, thank you so much. Uh, again, my guests have been from PwC doing fascinating things in the financial crimes unit and the financial crimes risk management space. And I urge you to learn more about everything they have to offer. Um, please join us again for another episode of the Financial Crimecast. We are on Spotify, Apple, and many other places where your favorite podcasts live. Uh, thanks again to my guests. Thanks to you for listening and look forward to having you join us for a future episode. Bye for now, everyone. <laughs>